This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. First, then Leonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Howard. Wow, what an appropriate message for Thanksgiving. Rejoice always, pray continually, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, over the years as a pastor... I've had many a conversation with people that would say, Pastor Todd, I just want to know God's will for my life. And, uh, you know, this morning as we come to this portion of Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's telling them specifically, hey, listen, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, uh, regardless of your circumstances, I want to tell you what God's will is for you. And he's writing this to this church, this, this new young church. And he says, rejoice always. Pray continually. In everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I know what maybe some of you are thinking. Sure. Right. Easier said than done. And yet, God is not going to ask us to do anything that He will not give us the strength to accomplish. And yet, as I think about that, I I know today, as we're approaching Thursday, Thanksgiving, there, there are some of us that are, that are really struggling. Looking for that, that place of, of joy in, in our heart or life. Or, or maybe we feel like, God, I have been praying. I continue to pray. But the thing that I'm, that I'm praying for just seems like it never happens. It, it, it leads me to, to even question you and what you're doing in, in my life or, or in the life of my family or in the world. Or maybe you're in a place this morning where you're saying to yourself, The truth be known, it's really hard for me to give thanks. You know, if you're in that place, the good news is that that Paul's message today to the Thessalonians is a message for you. It's a message for all of us. You know, when I think about Thanksgiving, and I think about this passage... Uh, I think about a time in which uh, I was really struggling. Uh, it was Thanksgiving. And uh, uh, when I think about, you know, rejoicing always or praying continually or uh, in everything, giving thanks, uh, it, it just seemed impossible. And as I was uh, going down the aisle at cars in the frozen food section, 
I was reminded of that Thanksgiving. Yes. A hungry man, satisfy your craving, roasted, carved, white meat, turkey dinner. Now, what does this have to do with anything and where I was on this very difficult Thanksgiving way back in 1979? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. The preceding year had been a tough year. Um, my mom had, had died prematurely, and uh, I was on my own. Um, six months later, my beloved Siamese cat of 16 years also died. And if that wasn't bad enough, a month later, my favorite actor, John Wayne, also passed. I mean, it was a trifecta. It was a difficult year for me. Okay, I mean, I laugh and make light of it, but in reality, it was, it was a really hard time. And I remember that Thanksgiving, I was all by myself, and I was hurting. And there wasn't a lot of joy in my life. Uh, I had been praying continually and yet really not seeing any answers to those prayers. And if that weren't enough, uh, my heart, um, there just wasn't much in it that would want to lead me to thank God for anything. That, that's the truth be known, okay? And I remember that Thanksgiving, uh, I went to the store and I bought a TV dinner, a turkey dinner. And that Thanksgiving day, I was all by myself in my apartment, and uh, I was uh, I was really struggling. And I remember putting the, the the TV dinner in the oven and saying out loud. I mean, I was just kind of emoting, talking out loud. I said, "Oh, gee, look at that bird! Doesn't it look great?" And how are the fixins? Oh, we're going to have mashed potatoes and and stuffing. And oh, let's not forget the uh, the apple cranberry dessert. Isn't this great? I can't wait. Get the table set. Everyone, let's gather around. We're going to have a great Thanksgiving. I was just emoting. I was having a really struggling, difficult time. Okay? And yet, in the years that have followed, I've recognized that even though at that time it it seemed like God was distant, I couldn't understand the the difficulty, the circumstances that I was encountering. Uh, There wasn't much in my heart out of which I wanted to give thanks. In the years that followed, I can look back now and I can see that despite the darkness and the difficulty of the moment, that God was really present. And I may not have recognized it at the time, but His hand was on me. And uh, even though on that day uh, I was really struggling, there have been many thanksgivings that have passed since then that remind me of God's faithfulness, uh, that remind me that in the struggle of that moment, uh, in the trial and the adversity that I was facing then, seemingly all by myself, um, the Lord was faithful. And uh, it took some time, but I began to see Him working in my life, and, and there was cause to rejoice. Uh, I did continue to pray, and ultimately, uh, I gave thanks, even in some difficult circumstances. It reminds me of what Charles Wendall says. Uh, He's written just a little vignette on attitude. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. 
It is more important in the past than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures and successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that the people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced, Wendell writes, that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you and me. We are in charge of our attitudes. As Tim Hansel says, pain in life is inevitable. But misery, oh, misery, that's optional. We have a choice of whether or not we're going to be miserable. As Paul is writing to this church, to the Thessalonians. He's writing to a, to a church that was very, very young. In fact, you, you may recall in Acts chapter 16, uh, he and his cohorts were planning on going to, to Asia, and yet he had a vision, and we know that is the Macedonia call. And, and in that call, he was called to go to Macedonia. And he goes, he's obedient, and he goes to a place called Philippi, the very first church in Europe is established there in, in uh, Philippi. Uh, but as he's sharing the gospel, there is unrest and he's forced to leave. And he travels about 90 miles to the west along a well-developed road that was built by the Romans in a corridor of great commerce in Macedonia to a place called Thessalonica. And it's in Thessalonica that he goes to a synagogue and he begins to share and argue that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one of God. That he died and was resurrected and that he lives and that through Christ there is forgiveness of sin. And as he's giving this message in the synagogue, there are some Jewish believers and there are some God-fearing Gentiles. That is, uh, they were members of the community that, that weren't Jews and they hadn't converted fully to Judaism, to Judaism, but they believed in the message um, of the Old Testament. They were God-fearing. Uh, they weren't those that were given to worshiping idols and false gods. And so the Scripture tells us, as we move from Acts 16 into Acts 17, verses 1 through 9, you'll, you'll see this story, that there are many that begin to come to faith in Christ. Not only those Jews and the God-fearers, but there's some very influential businesswomen in the community. This was really the capital of Macedonia. It was a center of commerce, and business was thriving. And as a result, the word spread in the community as well. And Paul, who was a tent maker, uh, began to work, and he used his business as an opportunity for sharing and continuing to teach the gospel so that now we see a growing community of people who are responding to the message of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. 
And as that happens, as happens often as we see in the book of Acts, as, as Paul, this is his second missionary journey on his first and second and later missionary journey, we see that it stirs up the community. In fact, there were members of the synagogue who were Jewish who didn't respond to Paul's message regarding Jesus. And they went to the civil authorities and they said, listen, these people that are here in Thessalonica, they are turning the world upside down with their message. Isn't that amazing? May it be said of us, right? The same thing. And so the business people in the community gathered and they went to the city officials. Now, this was a free city, which meant that the Romans gave the local people the authority to rule themselves. And there was like a city council, if you will. And many of them were comprised of business people. And they realized that what was going on was bad for business because it was causing unrest in the community. Uh, not only that... Uh, as Paul was saying that Jesus is Messiah, in other words, he, he is, he is the, the promised king that was coming from the throne of David, then there was a conflict because they worshiped Caesar. That was the part of the idolatry that was taking uh, place there. In fact, they actually minted a coin with Caesar's head on it. And so now, here they're saying, listen, they're teaching that there's a king Jesus, and they're teaching about a king other than Caesar. That's treason. And so what ended up happening is things got so bad that, that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were all together here, they had to flee the city. Flee the city and flee the church that had just been newly formed. And so later on, as Paul uh, arrives in, in Corinth, which is where he goes up down through Berea and down into Corinth, he is wondering what happened to this new church. With all the pressure coming from the outside, with the pressure from the inside, they're, they're babes in their faith, and he had to leave prematurely. And he's wondering what in the world is going on there. So he sends Timothy back. And Timothy goes and and he interacts with these new believers, this new church. And guess what? He comes back to Paul in Corinth and he says, listen, I've got good news for you. They are remaining strong in their faith. Even though they're being persecuted by the city officials and, and the community around them. And, and even though they're struggling internally with some issues of doctrine and, and how that impacts their life and their practice of the faith, they are holding strong. And so Paul says, great news and he writes him a letter and, and this is the letter he writes first Thessalonians and we're talking here about 49 or 50 uh, AD and he writes this letter to them and there's a couple concerns number one he wants to acknowledge and celebrate that they're standing firm in their faith he wants to do that and he does this he writes that in the letter uh, then the next thing he does is he wants to let them know, listen, I'm not some fly-by-night guy that came and tried to sell you a bill of goods, the gospel, and just left you. I really cared for you and loved you the way a, a nursing mother would, 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 would 
draw a child to her breast and care for her, or care for the child. That was a, the, the way I loved you and cared for you. And uh, I long to be back with you, but it seems like uh, that Satan is just getting in the way and keeping me from coming back, so that's why I'm sending Timothy. And so he wants them to know he didn't abandon them, that, he, that he's in their prayers, in, they're in his prayers. And he continues to, to hold them up and is concerned about them. But then there's a whole series of issues that are developing in the church, and it centers around what is going to happen to people who who die before us, or or what's going to happen in the last days. And so this letter deals a lot with the return of Jesus Christ. And it's the return of Jesus Christ that Paul centers on to give them encouragement to say, listen, you're standing firm, things are hard, there's been struggle, but you know that I've not abandoned you, but most importantly, God is not. And Jesus is the one we need to look towards. And no matter what happens in your lives, no matter what's going on there, there is a greater unseen reality and God is working out His plan. And ultimately, you and all those who by faith believe in Christ are going to what? Be blessed when He returns. And you are going to enter into the fullness of of, of God's kingdom and all that He has for you in Christ. You can count on that. So you continue to hold strong. And so we get to these three verses in, in chapter 5. And actually, it's a part of a, a larger series of commands. These are imperatives. You know what that means? It means they're not option. They're, they're commands. They're, they're things that Paul is saying... Do these things. Don't think about them. Maybe you should do them, but you need to do these things. And it begins in chapter 5, and he's really talking about the responsibilities of this church, of this faith community. And in chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, he talks about their responsibilities to their leaders who are caring for them, who are teaching them, who are pastoring them. And then in 14 through 15, he talks about their responsibilities to each other individual responsibility within that faith community. And then he gets to 16 through 17, our passage today. And that's dealing with the faith community or the church's responsibilities towards God. And then finally, verses 18 through 22, their responsibility towards the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. And so he's... He's trying to encourage them, but now he's teaching them what their responsibilities are as a faith community to their leaders, to each other, to God, and to the work of the Holy Spirit among them. And that's the context here of chapter 5 in which our verses are. But we get to these three verses. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. When we think of the act of rejoicing, joy is the basic mark of a Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one he mentions? Joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Joy comes from the hope that we have, the certainty of God's salvation fulfilled in our lives through Jesus Christ. 
and of His kingdom that is to come. It's joy that helps us to cope with disappointments and keep them in perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and following, Paul writes these words, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Our light and momentary troubles. Our temporal troubles. The troubles we have right now on earth are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, But what is unseen is eternal. And so the concept here is that, you know what? What we're experiencing externally in our present condition in the fallen world in which we live, hey, that's a a temporary light affliction compared to the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. And so as he's writing to the Thessalonians, He's saying to rejoice. Rejoice. Your hope ultimately is in God's salvation, in the kingdom that's coming. And let that joy in your life, in that expression of joy, help you cope with disappointments and keep those things in perspective. Then he says, pray continually. Really what that means is persevere in prayer. When you pray, pray expectantly as you pray for the work of God among you, as you pray and you look forward to to Christ's imminent return, pray with the same expectation of the the widow. In Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, you know, the, the parable of the persistent widow, where she goes again and again and again and again to pray, and uh, how her prayer, her persistence... Jesus uses to teach that. That we persist in prayer. That God is faithful. That He will answer. We can count on that. And that ultimately, that answer to prayer, all answer to prayer, is found in the reality of Christ's return. God's salvation. The promise of eternal life. The glory that awaits us. The time when the kingdom of God is fully established. And that there is that that fullness, that robustness of all the things that, that comes with that. Persevere in prayer and pray expectantly. And then finally, verse 18. Give thanks. Why? Because God is at work on behalf of His people. God will have the last word and act on it. And you know what that last word is? Resurrection and life in Christ. And He's telling this to the Thessalonians. To remind them of these things and how important that it is that, that these things are actually opportunities to acknowledge and affirm their faith in God. They're forms of worship. They're expressions outwardly of what we truly believe and how important that is. There's four things that I'd like to leave you with this morning as we move into thanksgiving. And I I call it the benefits of giving thanks. Number one, giving thanks might not change your circumstances, but it is certain 
to change you. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul, of course, writing to the Philippians. By the way, that epistle is called the Epistle of Joy. He writes this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or having a TV dinner on Thanksgiving by yourself, right? Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him, that's Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. And when we focus on God in the midst of circumstances, and we give thanks, that thanks reminds us that it is Christ Himself who gives us the power and the strength to endure, to work through whatever that circumstance might be. And the more thankful we are, the more it changes us in our response to those circumstances. I found that true in my life, and I know many of you have found that true in your own. The second thing, giving thanks might not remove your pain, but it embraces God's comfort in the midst of it. Again, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You know, I found that to be so true. That one of the things I've taken away from my experience with my struggle and my difficulties is that as I've given thanks to the Lord, as I've looked to the Lord, as I've continued in prayer, as I've sought His joy to help put things in perspective in my life, in my circumstances, you know what I've discovered? That that comfort is something that, that resides in me. It's an experience I have that I know God is faithful and then I can share that with others. And that's just such the, the benefit of a faith community that, that we are a community of Christ's comfort. And there are times when it's hard to rejoice or it's hard to continue to pray or it's hard to give thanks. But you know the great part of being a part of a faith community is you're surrounded with others who can do that and who can lift you up as they rejoice, as they pray, and as they give thanks. That's God's comfort that's spread through the community. How important that is. Number three, giving thanks might not reduce your hardship but it will help you not to waste it. Acts 16, 23 through 25. Paul and Silas are in the, the Philippian jail. And it says, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Yet about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Do you see in the hardship and the difficulty of their circumstances, they, they do. They rejoiced. They were praying. They were giving, what, hymns of praise and thanks to God. And people were listening, and they were amazed. And that led, literally, to a jailhouse revival. Why? Because you don't expect people to do that in difficult circumstances. And yet... Filled with His Holy Spirit, with a heavenly perspective, 
Paul and Silas and you and I can amaze people and shock them as we do what's unexpected in rejoicing, in praying, and giving thanks in difficult circumstances. Finally, number four, giving thanks might not make you happy. Hmm. But it celebrates the fact that God is at work in your life and He's making you holy. That's called sanctification. That's, that's developing godly character and being conformed to the image of His Son, Christ Jesus. L.B. Cowan says this, Christians with the most spiritual death are generally those who have been taken through the most intense and deeply anguishing fires of the soul. And so the question is for you and for me on this Thanksgiving, what's our attitude going to be? Are, are we going to follow this imperative of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18? Here's a Thanksgiving reflection that might help us. In happy moments, praise God. In difficult moments, seek God. In quiet moments, worship God. In painful moments, trust God. And in every moment, thank God. German pastor Martin Reinhardt served in the walled town of Eilenburg during the horrors of the Thirty Year War of 1618 through 1648. Eilenburg became an overcrowded refugee camp for the surrounding area. The fugitives suffered from epidemic and famine. At the beginning of 1637, the, great, the year of the Great Pestilence, there were four ministers in the town, but one abandoned his post for healthier areas and could not be persuaded to return. Pastor Reinhardt officiated at the funerals of the other two pastors that remained. As the only pastor left, he, con he conducted services for as many as 40 to 50 persons a day. In his time as a pastor in that town, he buried some 4,480 people. In May of that year, his own wife died. By the end of the year, the refugees, there were so many, they had to be buried in trenches without services. Yet living in a world dominated by death, when he had every reason not to rejoice, not to pray continually, or not in everything to give thanks, Pastor Reinhardt wrote the following prayer for his children to offer to the Lord the words of a well-known hymn that we sing today. Now we thank, now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, whose wondrous things have done, hath done, in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Rejoice always. Pray continually and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Amen.